0: Hi, my name is Ryan McDonough, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Sun show. I am Tim Tompkins, Dave King, the managing editor of Brightside the Sun, Greg Esposito, joining us for this episode. So, the Suns, after acquiring Austin Rivers in a trade, sending Trevor Reza over to the Wizards, have decided to waive him saying, you know what? Out of all of our needs on this roster, a point guard was not one of them. Your guys, thoughts? Austin Rivers was never a
1: point guard.
0: Uh, okay. Oh, God. He's, Austin Rivers is a worse passer than, than most
1: anybody, even guys that are currently on the Suns.
2: I'm going to defend the Phoenix Suns here. They probably realized that Austin Rivers was just going to be a dick here in Phoenix. Didn't want to be here, so they said, I'm not going to deal with this. And it honestly when you look at what's happened over this last week, they're starting to build chemistry. And the last thing you need is a veteran pouting because he doesn't want to be here. That's why they got rid of Trevor Ariza. So why would you want to add another version of And Brandon Knight before that?
1: him and Eric yeah. Bledsoe before him. And yeah, I think, uh, look, if, 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 a- the current situation of the Suns is that uh, players are likely not to want to be here, not going to want to be here if they're a veteran. And they've been around other organizations because there are things about the Suns organization that are a little sketchy. Um, so what's different, it seems like about James Jones than Ryan McDonough. is Ryan McDonough would take that as a personal challenge and would and would call out the guy in public and, try to um, berate him into wanting to be on the team. And then the Suns would suffer through. I mean, y'all might remember Markeith Morris's saga, and then you might remember Brandon Knight's pouting, and then you might remember, you know, player after player after player wanting out and not being outed um, or gotten out for way too long. And this year what you're seeing is James Jones actually taking action on those things. Tyson Chandler left on a fairly good note. Probably because Tyson Chandler was about to not be a good note. And then now you've got Austin Rivers being released before he can even possibly become a problem. So James Jones apparently has decided that he'd rather guys with good attitudes and less talent than guys with more talent and bad attitudes.
2: Hey, I still wish that James Jones would have come out and said, Austin Rivers a punk. Like,. <laughs> well Well, that should have been the quote in the press
1: i I like i like james a little uh well in in some ways i don't like how james jones talks because he's one of those guys who will just use his platitude and platitude and platitude um but i i do kind of like that uh press release when when they did release austin rivers that they mutually agreed that austin rivers would be a better asset on a more veteran team this is 26 year old austin rivers who isn't even a starting caliber guard? Couldn't even play. Couldn't even start for the starting for the Washington Wizards. Yeah, they've got John uh, John Wall and Bradley Beal, but Austin Rivers was terrible for the 12 and 18 Wizards. And and he thinks he's too good for the Suns. Screw you. Go. We mutually agree you're better on a team that doesn't need you.
2: I love PR spin. That was James Jones saying this guy's a dick, and PR yes. went. We've mutually agreed that's, to not have him here. That's
1: a little passive aggressive. Look at how this fucking conversation went, people. <laughs>
2: <That's>, <laughs> I love it. That's that's how uh, I used to describe breakups. You know, we mutually decided to part ways, but really <laughs> she was like, "You don't satisfy me. I'm leaving." All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly it. And so you spin it, but you spin it in such a way that everyone knows what really happened can you imagine can you imagine james jones I'm, I'm making all this up but uh james jones goes all right sure we'll take austin rivers as the as the uh trade piece and my guess is that washington wanted uh more compensation back for Ubre, so they tried to spin Ubre off to the grizzlies and the sun said okay fine uh yeah dylan brooks isn't bad so they were gonna agree to it not that the suns did not want Ubre; it's that the probably the wizards wanted more for Ubre than the suns were going to give them which is the corpse of Trevor Ariza. So uh, when, you know, so at the at the time, I don't think it's because the Suns really wanted Austin Rivers. I really don't. I think the Suns were going to salary match for Austin Rivers just to get Trevor off the team. Um, and then when Rivers calls up or his agent calls up and says, uh, <laughs> "Austin really would rather be on a more veteran team that he doesn't that he doesn't want to deal with this bullshit." So James Jones said, "Okay, fine. I don't give a shit. Get out of here."
2: Could you imagine if they had accidentally actually dealt for Marshawn Brooks and then and then cut Austin Rivers, the hell that would have broken loose? <laughs> <That> they, <laughs> like, oh hey. my god.
1: Yes! Imagine <laughs> that. If they had just cowed down and said, okay, Marshawn Brooks, Wayne Seldon, and Wait, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Marshawn yeah. Brooks, Wayne Seldon, a second-round pick, and Austin Rivers I don't to think, be wait. I don't
0: think the second-round pick was even going to the Suns. I think the second-round no, picks I, were going to the Wizards. No, that's
1: true. That's true. Yeah. It was going to the Wizards. So it just would have been <laughs> Austin Rivers, Marshawn Brooks, and Wayne Seldon. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, one
0: yep. of the one of the criticisms that James Jones is receiving for this deal is he got Austin Rivers cut about 600 k off of his guarantee, and a lot of people are really surprised that he didn't at least get him to cut the veterans minimum off of his guarantee, since he would most almost certainly uh, receive that once he did clear waivers oh. and sign with another team. Who cares? It's It, it doesn't impact the, the offseason
2: salary cap. Sure. They're not adding anybody this year at this point uh, that they're going to have to pay that much for. It's just
1: another sign that Rivers is being a dick. But really, something that uh, Jared Jared Dudley tweeted uh, a couple of different times to different people over the last year on players being waived is, look, the player doesn't have to give up a dime. Mm -hmm. It's guaranteed money. So why would you, if you've got 50 bucks in your pocket— and you wanted to leave, uh, and the son's and and the person was going to let you walk out the door anyway. Why would you take a tenner out and put it on the table before you left if you didn't have to? Yeah, you know, it's already in your pocket. It's yeah. already guaranteed money.
2: Well, and Doc worked really hard to get Austin that money, so he shouldn't have to give a dime of it back.
1: <laughs> Which does go back to continually shock me on, on Ryan Anderson actually agreeing to non-guarantee five million of his con- of his contract next year. That was a pretty ball, uh, ballsy move on Anderson's part in an yeah, attempt to get some playing time with with the Suns, you know, to get to get involved in that trade that hasn't worked out for him.
2: Well, Anderson's a different type of dude though, too. He's a good guy and he's a guy that <laughs> you know, you're not going to hear a word from him based on the situation he's in. He's just he's a good guy. So, like, he's I like I made think his that's money. different. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Uh, the difference between twenty-one and fifteen million for a guy like that—that's making as much as he is this year—he uh, gets it. He understands the the reality of the situation.
1: It is possibly money he'll never see again.
2: Yeah, but he also doesn't seem like a guy that's going to be uh, one of these guys ten years after his career that's filing for bankruptcy. So it's probably no, five true. million <laughs> he doesn't need. No, he's actually
1: such a cool guy. I've had a couple of different con- long conversations with him off the record uh, in the locker room, just chilling after you know while we're waiting up for other players to come out of the shower and stuff um he's just easy to talk to and he has such a good frame of mind and he's actually embracing like a jamal crawford so uh him and jamal crawford are basically embracing the just be cool in the locker room be fun be be helpful with the guys be helpful with the schemes and the rotations and all that And don't walk around moping all the time. He and Jamal Crawford have been excellent on that regard. And obviously the guys who are no longer with the team were not.
2: Look, and that's that's a point that I think needs to be made is the fact that you don't buy veteran leadership, right? It's not about... Paying a lot of money to bring in a Tyson Chandler or Trevor Ariza, you can't force leadership. It's developed, it's earned, and guys like Jamal Crawford and guys like Ryan Anderson have earned the respect <clears throat> of these guys and have earned the respect of, of the game and are leaders from that perspective. So you don't need to spend, you know, what was it, a combined sixty-seven million between Chandler and Ariza to to fill that void they did it on a minimum contract with jamal crawford and obviously anderson had a decent amount of salary but they took that back to to make a trade work so they need to stop trying to plug that hole with a with large contracts
1: you know what's cool um uh jamal crawford did a little twitter exchange uh with with folks on friday night uh saying he had some time and he was a little talkative and, and one of the questions that he was willing to answer was what do you want to do after your playing career? Do you want to do coaching or you want to do front office or you want to do
0: uh, media? Did he say and pick and he, playing he said, pick up ball at the Y?
1: <laughs> he would kick some ass playing pick up ball. At the y. <laughs> but no, what he said was front office for sure. So I think that and and he and James Jones are are pretty close. So I, that would be really cool to see him graduate into a suit. Like James Jones did. I think he'd be really good in player relations.
2: Yeah, I need to backtrack on a comment I made via Twitter probably six, seven weeks ago where I said, I've seen enough of Jamal Crawford in the Sun's <laughs> uniform. I never need to see it again. I take it back. I, I was saying it because I just, I still have a hard time guys like that getting minutes over over the young guys, but when you see what Jamal Crawford uh, has provided to this group, and when you see how he's getting these young guys excited and and talking to him during timeouts and and the impact he's had on the court, I fully, fully retract my statement, and I apologize, Isaiah Thomas, that I offended you with it enough that you responded to me on Twitter. I was wrong. You guys were right. Our, our former Isaiah Thomas here. Oh, uh, see, I uh, wouldn't know because he blocked me. Oh, really? Yeah, he uh, he's buddies with Jamal from uh, from Seattle, uh, being up there. Oh, so.
1: I always liked and, Isaiah, and, and I think I was just a little bit too outspoken in the year. He was the backup point guard for the Suns, and he blocked me before he left and never turned me back on.
2: Yeah, I don't think he blocked me on the Jamal comment, but I was certainly, certainly wrong with it, and I wanted to admit that.
0: Well, there, to your point, there was a, a time uh, when Jamal Crawford had first joined the team where he was just eating up a lot of possessions with long— Mid range twos, essentially at the ends of shot clocks, dribbling dribbling the air out of the ball and taking a last second shot. Right, taking a last second low percentage shot, and and there were points in which I was like, if I never have to see him take another one of those, I'll be perfectly okay with this. Now all the intangibles we didn't realize were going to happen. Jamal Crawford obviously hit a career high in assists the other night, uh, so he has been playing better and he's been real positive on and off the court. But you know, to that speaking to that tweet, there was a time in which. Uh, initially, he did not seem like he was going to be that much of a positive.
1: He's oh. basically a very cool Brandon Knight. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Yes. He's like the locker room version you always wished Brandon Knight would be, but he's still basically Brandon Knight because in Brandon Knight's best possible physical iteration of himself, he would be sixth man of the year like Jamal Crawford was three times over 18 years.
2: Yeah. That's very true. And the time I tweeted that was when we were still dealing with watching Tyson Chandler play all the time, too. So. Oh, when
0: he was just forcing those lobs to Tyson Chandler over and over and over. But Tyson Chandler uh, couldn't yeah. catch any of them. Just- right. Yes.
2: But this is this is a positive episode. See, I'm actually feeling like I can be positive this episode. And that's well, we why can, I because apologize. Why,
1: why are we feeling positive, guys? We haven't even mentioned it. We're 10 minutes into this episode.
2: Well, that's because by the time people listen to this, they may be on a losing streak again. Oh, that's but right. it, so let's make this a little more. we are
1: recording, <laughs> the Suns are on a four-game winning streak with two of them being road games, three of them being against winning teams. We and, should be very proud of this team for winning four straight games against that competition.
2: And, and all of them being without Trevor Riza.
1: <laughs> well, no, one of them was uh, with.
2: Oh, that's true. In but one of them, was, one of them was in spite of Trevor Ariza. In spite of Trevor
1: <laughs> Well, you know what? Um, Trevor Ariza bookended his his son's career pretty well, actually, with two wins against Dallas. Those were his his best games of the year, were his first one and his last one with the Suns. He was twenty-one, eight and seven on opening night, uh, and he actually moved faster than a than an albatross. And then he he walked for the next uh, two months, and then. He was uh, gosh I can't remember but he was a catalyst for uh, what his box score was against the Mavericks last Thursday a week ago Thursday or and, and uh, he bookended he literally bookended his career because he knew he was out he knew he was done.
2: Ironically, his contract was an albatross as well so
0: he
1: played like his contract
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's interesting to me with the Suns as far as the month of December goes and wins? They are opponents are shooting 25% from three averaging 35 attempts and that that average of attempts from three is very important in the losses opponents are shooting 42% from three but are only averaging 25 uh, attempts per game usually a better indicator of defense is when it comes to uh, three pointers is whether or not you can limit their attempts not necessarily the percentage that they make when they're shooting them. So it's a a little bit surprising to me that the Suns are actually winning games when opponents are shooting more from behind the arc uh, than vice versa. Yeah, the the
1: Suns are getting a little lucky that that, that their opponents, and you have to once every 82 games, you know? I mean, you have to get lucky sometimes, right? Um, But they're getting lucky that their opponents are not making as many threes as they have been over the past couple of months. But here's an area where the Suns are actually doing pretty well. they're, they are getting lucky from from uh, teams not making shots behind the three-point line. But the Suns are also uh, point, opponent points in the paint during their four-game winning streak. They're ninth in the league with allowing only 44 per game. And everyone who's been watching all of these god-awful games all year will know that the Suns have been a layup line all season. So to be ninth over that the last four games, for every team's last four games, if you do it on NBA.com, look at last four games, the Suns are ninth in opponent points per game in the paint, and that is a huge plus. Is it just that also helps that they're or not their threes. That's points in the paint, so, so it's total points, points, points per game in the paint.
2: Oh, and honestly, Tim, I kind of wonder with the, with your initial point is that something that we're going to just see change in the NBA? Is it is it more an indicator of the style of ball that's being played now that when teams are, are since the three is now such an important part of the game, when teams are missing those threes, they start to get in a hole, they're going to tend to shoot more of those threes, and it kind of snowballs. I think it, it may be an indicator that we see more moving forward just because the game is moving to such a, a three-point uh style game and to dave's point when you have a better efficiency down low that you're not giving up those layups because it's a three or it's or or it's a layup is kind of the game now you're going to wind up seeing a team jacking up more threes and trying to force force the uh those the game there beyond the arc
1: and i'm not saying the suns are really good at rim protection right now because they're still real mediocre although Rishon holmes is great at contesting as many shots as he can And uh, DeAndre Ayton's doing a lot better at contesting shots, but they both get switched off and rotated out and all that. So they're not always available to defend the rim. What's been great about the Suns defense is they're not getting they're not letting the ball get into the paint on passes because the long arm defenders that they've got out there now are doing an incredible job of uh disrupting passing lanes and so a player now has to drive all the way from the outside to get to the paint now instead of passing in there uh that's that's been a lost cause for a lot of teams lately and that's really been fun to watch
0: and part of that is Rashawn holmes so when Rashawn holmes is on the court and this doesn't necessarily mean guarding the shot just when he is the center playing for the suns opponents are shooting 2.5 percent less frequently uh at the rim, putting him in the 80 cent 82nd percentile among centers, and when they are shooting at the rim, opponents are shooting uh, ten, almost 10 and a half percent worse uh, when he's on the court, putting him in the 98th percentile. So, uh, Rashawn Holmes does absolutely make a difference uh, in that center rotation on defense.
2: If only we could get a uh, a way to mash Rashawn Holmes and DeAndre Ayton together. Because if Ayton played that kamikaze kind of defense that Holmes does, it would be a game changer uh, in terms of the perception of DeAndre Ayton and what he's able to do on the defensive end. So you can only hope that Rashawn Holmes over time uh, kind of rubs off on, on DeAndre Ayton and Ayton absorbs kind of that... Uh,
0: that mentality long-term James Jones had an interesting comment in the athletic this last week where he was basically talking about the chemistry on the team and I thought it was interesting and there was an article on bright side of the Sun where essentially uh, James Jones said that when DeAndre um, Ayton is on the court Rashawn Holmes is his biggest cheerleader and when Rashawn Holmes is on the court DeAndre Ayton is his biggest cheerleader uh, those guys really root yeah. for each other but you can hope that he really picks it up. Uh, I could give you guys a DeAndre Ayton stat on, with those same ones, but I'm not going to because I feel like it would create an argument, and this is only a positive episode. <laughs> this is a bright side of the Suns <laughs> episode. <laughs> uh, hey, Do you no. guys think that DeAndre Ayton has any chance of Rookie of the Year, or is it already Luka Doncic's award? Uh,
2: I think I think he's carrying the baggage of that number one pick and the scrutiny that's going to come with it and Doncic is is playing without that anchor tethered around him so uh, the flashy things that Doncic is doing is is going to give him probably the leg up in this but that doesn't mean that that DeAndre Ayton isn't worthy. He's still doing things that, that rookies at, at his position
0: haven't done. I'm in not this saying game. worthy. I'm saying from, from the, the, the oh. voter standpoint. Oh, it's no. It's Luka
1: Doncic, Doncic is going to win rookie of the year. He just is because everyone is enjoying his highlights every single game. And uh, he's putting up the most points. And really the rookie of the year has always been about who scored the most points. It really has. So he's definitely doing it He's definitely flashy He's definitely fun to watch Um, Does he have his flaws? Yes Are his flaws being maximized on Twitter? No Um, Are people pointing out his Here's another Here's an unrelated but related thing Last year the big debate was uh, If you guys I don't know if you guys agree with me But the last year the big debate was Donovan Mitchell versus Devin Booker Remember that? Who's better? Okay Sure did disappear I don't know Maybe you guys remember that This year Donovan Mitchell has been bad. And if you actually compare his second season to Devin Booker's second season, they're almost identical in that Booker went through a dip in efficiency in the beginning of his second season, where he was down at a 50% true shooting rate. When you uh, would true shooting includes free throws and three pointers, 50 uh, percent's kind of low for a really, for an elite guard. Um, and uh, they're basically, uh, mirror images, although Booker did better on assisting and a little bit uh, a little bit better on rebounding, nobody is talking all of a sudden that Donovan Mitchell is an offense-only guy. And plus, Donovan Mitchell is not playing good defense this year either. Nobody's talking down Donovan Mitchell like they talked down Devin Booker in year two. And for the same reason, and, and why, where this is related, is that nobody is focusing on Luka Doncic's um, deficiencies like they are DeAndre Ayton's. So in that regard... The same reason Donovan Mitchell was a co-rookie uh, uh, of the year last year, uh, you're going to see Luka Doncic being the runaway rookie of the year this year. He's probably going to win every player of the month award, too, um, on the Western Conference. It just is what it is. That doesn't mean DeAndre Ayton isn't great. It just means that Luka Doncic is going to win it anyway.
2: The the only way that that gap can close is if the Suns actually continue a hot streak, really turn everything around, and then what Deandre Ayton does well is going to start to get noticed because there's going to be believed that it's having an, it's impact, an impact on right. a major turnaround. Yeah. One of but the biggest reasons,
1: right. One of the bigger reasons that Luca Doncic is right now, a runaway rookie of the year is Dallas is a winning team, mm-hmm. but you put a lot of veterans around a rookie and you put one of the best coaches in the entire game, um, uh, designing an offense and a defense for that rookie. And you're going to have pretty good results, um, and the Suns don't have that kind of don't I don't have that kind of uh, combination.
0: And on that note, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back, we're gonna give our initial thoughts on Kelly Oubre. The Sun Solar Panel Podcast now available on Spotify. Just search Sun Solar Panel. Now back to three awkward guys talking about the Suns. I want to give us a chance to overreact to the one-game sample size of Kelly Oubre. There was something that Dave and I were talking about. He's off. the most
1: beautiful man on the planet, by the way. Uh,
0: we were talking about <laughs> off the mic, and it's a concept of essentially playing three or four wings at the same time in the new NBA. And uh, we saw that we saw that with uh, Kelly Oubre. And one thing that I really do want you guys to uh, react to or at least uh, give some sort of opinion on because it was something that surprised me was Kelly Oubre in his first game with the Suns uh, played the end of the third quarter and the entire fourth quarter.
2: I thought you were going to say his hair surprised you that that caught you off
0: guard. It, it is a
2: beautiful coif of hair. But uh, honestly, I, I'm going to take a step back. We we ended last week's episode with me basically on the ledge ready to jump and be done with this right and this week restored some faith it was actually fun to watch suns basketball and it reminded me of why uh, i we spend time doing this and why i love basketball at its base level uh, i mean i was on a business trip and i made it a point in between busy schedules to watch the games on my phone because i was having so much fun watching them and kelly Ubre uh, do we have to say the junior? It's on the jersey, but uh, we don't say T.J. Warren Jr. So, But Kelly Oubre actually exudes exactly what has made these last handful of games fun. He puts forth an immense amount of effort, and, and in particularly defensively. And that's what, uh, if he continues that, Give back up the Brinks truck, give him 60 million over four years, resign him and let's have him as part of this team because that's the kind of attitude you want. And I loved his quotes where when uh, when he came in and they basically asked him uh, what kind of player should Suns fans expect? And he said, if you get in my way, I will run you over, basically, that I am the kind of guy that's gonna come out here and put forth everything I have for this franchise. He is the polar opposite. Of Trevor Ariza, and I, I have enjoyed it. And if one game is any indication of what we can expect moving forward, sign me up for the Kelly Oubre Jr. experience.
1: Well, let me tell you that uh, the, what what's great about Kelly Oubre is he's basically already what um, what we're we'll probably we're hoping for to get out of Josh Jackson, and that is a good emulation for Josh Jackson right now because. Uh, uh, Ubre is not a good shooter Josh Jackson's not a good shooter They both take too many shots They both uh, shoot too often when they get the ball Instead of swing it around for a better shot But Kelly Ubre busts his ass on defense And that's what you want to see Josh Jackson do And that's the Josh Jackson I would keep for the next 10 years is the one who kicks, he he busts ass on defense all the time. That's why Mikkel Bridges has been good this year, although he's a better shooter than either of those two. So I hope Mikkel eventually grows into a bigger role than either of them uh, because he is a better shooter and he takes the right shots. He doesn't take bad ones. But uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. is what we hope Josh Jackson will become. And then uh, at the at the low end, hopefully, of what Jackson, Josh Jackson becomes, which is a really active defender and um, probably shoots a little bit too much but might make some big shots. And uh, I thought it was great watching those guys. It's that old Spider-Man meme where you've got the two Spider-Mans looking at each other and pointing to each other. This is a three-way uh, where, where Bridges and Jackson and Oubre are all basically the same player. And if they all play the same, the Suns are going to win some games.
2: Well, and it's the kind of guy that's the what's becoming a more prototypical kind of guy that you need in the NBA. So having three of them, you know, I, I I joked, you know, we're we're all wings, no sauce over the summer here in Phoenix with the you know letting a center go and signing more more wings. But this the when you watch it, you go, okay, this is this may be the future of the NBA is interchangeable guys like this that. Mm-hmm play defense that can shoot a little bit. I mean if, if Ubre and Jackson stuck to corner threes and driving the lane, they'd be the perfect kind of players. You know, because yeah. they you know they both can make those corner shots. They're both that can be effective driving the lane and then you hope Bridges is a little bit better shooter. But I, I actually think there's a, a a big future for that type of guy. And you're right, Dave, that if Jackson Emulates what Oubre does on the defensive end. They got something really special there from both guys.
0: Well,
1: I spe- think it's fine uh, Oh, go ahead Tim.
0: Uh, I it, Speaking of defensively when it comes to Josh Jackson is uh, opponents are shooting 2% less than their average um, When he's on the court and they're also turning the ball over 1.3% more than their average Which is the 76th and the 79th percentile. So defensively Josh Jackson's there I would say that the big difference between those two players is uh, is, is Kelly Oubre has one of the lowest uh, assist percentages for anybody mm-hmm. in that position, whereas Josh Jackson is a uh, much more willing passer. And, and so it's not that I don't think we shouldn't hope that Josh Jackson becomes what Kelly Oubre is, but um, you can add Josh Jackson's passing to the type of player that Kelly Oubre has become.
1: Oh, yeah, I think Josh Jackson has a higher ceiling, for sure. I do. I, I didn't mean yeah. to imply otherwise. I just think if we if Josh Jackson becomes what Kelly Oubre is, that's still pretty good. And oh. it's better than he was two months ago.
2: Well, and I think you got to give Josh Jackson credit over this win streak as well, because he's shown the propensity to uh, start to play better. hes He realizes he's the energy guy on that bench. I mean, something has clicked with him uh, at least slightly that, that's helped his game over this. And maybe maybe Ariza was a bad influence on him. I, I don't think it's that big of a jump to... To assume that too and i can't wait to, s- to hopefully see the josh jackson we saw second half of last year show yeah backup. i just think
1: josh jackson struggles with change i mean he uh he, it took him a while to learn the nba period last year and he was terrible for the first month or two and then he became pretty good in the second half but there was no structure and so he was just a get your own guy um but then he got bad again in his first couple months under igor and now he's getting better um, and I think uh, Josh just isn't one of those guys who, who incrementally um, grows with a new coach. It's like all there, or all not. And he's, he's now in an all there mode and we'll see how long that takes.
2: Yeah, I mean, he could just wind up being a notoriously slow starter too. I mean, there's some athletes that are just like that in, in in certain sports, and Josh may be that guy. The first two months of every season may just be painful with Josh for a while. So, well,
1: we'll see if he if he has the same coach um, two off seasons in a row. Maybe we'll see if that's if that's coach oriented or if that's Josh oriented.
2: Yeah, that's
0: true. Uh, so for the first time in Josh's career, he's had four trade games with a positive positive on off numbers. Uh, the Suns are a positive 13 per game over his last four when he's been on the court, uh, shooting 46% from three, uh, six and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, uh, scoring 11 points on 11 attempts. Uh, but more so, the Suns look better when Josh Jackson is playing better, and it's it's noticeable. Well, I, I this is where one of those advanced metrics is slightly flawed because,
2: of course, he's going to look better over these four games than any other four games he's looked at because... It's the first time he's won four games. The team's won four games in a row since he's been on the roster. Yeah, Should we take
1: a moment to recognize that this is the first time Devin Booker has won four games in a row? Yeah, which as is a insane. Pro. Is it the first four time he's years? won
0: three in a row as well? Uh, I, no,
1: they had won three last year. It's uh, well, they had won. Sorry, his second year they had won three, yeah. but they'd never won four in a row while Devin Booker was in a Phoenix Suns uniform. And yeah. this is not Devin Booker's fault. He's been on an island. Um, this has been, uh, but it's just been a long road for him. So
0: can and we do I'm a little sure bit of a tease? Yes, please do. So coming on the pod this week, Nate Duncan. Not
2: not this episode. We'll have a special episode yeah. for you. Nate Duncan
0: yeah. is going to defend his take on uh, why he has Devin Booker ranked so low among upcoming prospects i'm not sure that i can be on the episode because it's a christmas eve episode i, I'm, I might be busy but i'm really excited uh, whether or not i am on it to to hear uh dave put nate in its place on this one
2: well, I I'm, and greg as well yes hey
0: greg uh, you're I'm, gonna,
2: me, I'm gonna attempt i'm going to attempt to i am uh mm. i am part of something i can't mention a, a side project that i may be working but uh Yeah, as as Santa Claus or as an elf, he would make a good Santa. I've lost too much weight to play Santa. I'm thirty pounds down, and Santa doesn't roll. Santa doesn't roll that way. I'm not jolly enough. I could be an elf. You know, I am short enough, but yeah, I'm not ever (laughs) jolly enough to play Santa. What um, are you on a specific diet or what favor? I am on a very specific diet, I can't mention it.
1: Can you can you promise me a huge favor? Me. Yes. Uh, so sure. this will be a Christmas episode, right? Like you're going to try to get it posted
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll have, it, have it, it I'll have it Christmas up for Eve. Christmas. I'll uh, probably on Christmas Eve.
1: Can you please 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 uh, get some clips of He's a mean one, Mr. Grinch. So we can play that when Nate Duncan is being introduced.
2: Uh, why do I feel like you're ambushing this dude? Like you're just going to, sh- it's going to be a five minute episode because you're just going to basically shank him. Virtually. No, I'm a
1: pro. I'm a pro. This will be good. This <laughs> we can't be good, we can't but it will be him. fun to have some um, bed music of the Grinch
0: that would be awesome (laughs) I I promise you I will do that one thing I do want to bring up I realize that by the time you are listening to this episode it's a little bit outdated Uh, but when it happened I thought that it was uh, incredibly distasteful Um, I, I actually tweeted them and told them and I understand that oftentimes the opposing teams announcers are not going to speak favorably of the opposing team that they're going to have takes that aren't good, that they're going to be generally unkind. But I thought it was a really low moment in Brian Scalabrini's career when TJ Warren and Kyrie Irving ended up pinning the floor together and they were both slow to get up. And Brian Scalabrini said that he was only concerned if Kyrie Irving didn't get a, get up. Uh, TJ Warren did hear these comments and he reacted to it on Instagram. Uh, But I want to point out that that was a really low thing to say, especially coming from somebody who not only was he a shit NBA player, but he did actually play in the NBA. Well, let me put it this way. It's a very Boston thing. And I can say that because I was
2: born in Boston. It's a very Boston sports fan kind of mentality. And uh, Scalabrini as a, a professional broadcaster shouldn't have said that, but I understand the, the type of person he was playing up to and the type of fan he was playing up to with that kind of a comment. And, uh, yeah, it, you should never wish that any opponent is injured outside of Kobe Bryant. Uh, but, you know, like it, there's it, it really, you should never wish for an injury. You should never hope yeah. that a guy's down, especially a guy like TJ Warren, who has had, uh, had some head injuries and different things that, uh, that you know are scary things to deal with.
1: Do you think possibly uh, going on T.J. Warren for a little bit? I don't. I don't disagree with you guys at all. I thought it was in really really bad taste. But can we talk about how few free throws T.J. Warren gets with uh, given all the contact he takes when he drives to the basket? Is it is it the referees' fruit? Free- freezing him out because he complains so much lately about the calls or do you think it's just that he's such a contortionist that referees just assume he contorted himself away from contact because i'm pretty sure he takes a lot of contact and gets very few free throws off of it
2: i think it's a little of both and then you have to add in the third factor that he plays for the Suns, and it's just well, well no devin bad. booker
1: gets devin booker um gets to the line you know five and a half times a game and and uh uh last year it was over six so i don't think it's just him being a phoenix son, but man tj warren only gets to the line less than three times a game uh three shots a game which means he's only at the line once or twice a game and that guy takes contact every single time so is he a magician where the he makes the refs think he hasn't been touched by the way he contorts himself or do you think they're freezing him out because he complains so much because he has been ejected a couple times this year
2: uh I mean, obviously the complaining plays a part of it because he hasn't, you know, uh, earned the right, as they would say, to complain that much because he's, you know, up until this season hasn't put up the kind of numbers that warrant him complaining like he's some kind of uh, of star, you know, so that definitely impacts it because the, whether you like it or not, refs are human and they're going to. Tend to make you know emotional decisions at times too, and if a guy is that annoying, you're gonna retaliate. I Uh, mean,
0: free throw. I wish it weren't true. Free throw rate. Uh, TJ Warren has a uh, 19% free throw rate. He is tenth on the team. Players that have a higher percentage of uh, getting to the line per shot attempt on the team this season include Tyson Chandler, Rashawn Holmes, Kelly Oubre, Devin Booker. Jamal Crawford, Josh Jackson, Ryan Anderson, Dragon Bender, and DeAndre Ayton—the uh, players behind—and Igor Kukoshkov as well has got yeah. the line. The... When
1: Jamal Crawford gets to the line more often than uh, your your power forward that takes probably five or ten paint shots a game, uh, let me see. Well, we're talking percent percentage of field goals here. by distance. Yeah, I know, but but he takes thirty percent of T.J. Warren's shots this year are at in the paint. Um, within three feet sorry so right in the restricted area last year was almost 40 percent he's and he got to the line a little bit more last year I, I just wonder I mean I don't know if it's a career long thing or if it's just or or what it is but it sure seems like he is he hits the floor about twice as many times as he gets foul calls
2: I think it shifts next year as he gains more and more respect around the league as well
1: do you think it's about Suns winning games? Because he yeah. was actually better next, last year than he is this year so far. No except for threes.
2: I don't think it's about winning games. I think it's about perception of the player. I mean, you brought up Devin Booker, and I think players respect him around the league. I think refs respect him around the league for being uh, a very good, talented guy on the border of being a star, and you get respect for that. I think TJ Warren doesn't get that respect and isn't known as that by these refs uh, or other players necessarily, And, and so he doesn't get the respect that that maybe he deserves as he's going in the lane it's just a, I mean it's the old jordan rules kind of thing uh guys that are stars are gonna, always going to get more calls and, and always are going to get more of the benefit of the doubt and tj warren just isn't at that plateau yet
0: he deserves to get more foul calls i mean when you look at the players that are good that have a lower uh percentage of time getting to the rim on the suns team trevor reza michael Bridges. Kanan, Ellie Cobo, Troy Daniels, Anthony Melton, uh, Jawan Evans, uh, George King, obviously small sample sizes on some of these guys. Um, There is no reason why TJ Warren isn't higher up on that list. Then, you know, even guys to Dave's point, uh, Jamal Crawford, Josh Jackson should be high on the list because that's all really Josh Jackson does. So that's not surprising, but uh, he absolutely Mm. deserves to get more calls.
2: I don't think it's fair that you say some of these guys have small sample sizes. You haven't been in the locker room; you don't know. So. Oh, geez,
1: <laughs> that does remind me. Uh, one of one of the funniest moments of the year was um, it, the way the NBA locker rooms work. Post game NBA locker rooms work is they is they let the uh, media in while the players are coming out of the shower, and then as the players are fully when the players get fully dressed, then the scrum can happen and the media can approach them. But until then, people are just lingering around the locker room trying not to look at the wrong place at the wrong time you know that's just it, it is a fun little dance and um, one of the funniest things was when deandre aden realized this was the case and he came out in his preseason game it was probably after the very first one and he comes out in his 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 towel basically and he freaks out because there's 20 media people standing there and they all saw him coming through the door so we all looked over at the same time And he's like, oh, my God. And he actually, (laughs) uh, like, ran back into the shower (laughs) and had to be talked into coming out.
2: Oh, that's because college, they don't do that, right? They you're not in the law. Even
1: other NBA teams, uh, some other NBA teams just uh, have have players go to the media room and the media just waits patiently for them. But a lot of NBA teams do the same locker room dance where the media is sitting around. It was just DeAndre had no idea. Nobody had warned him, I I don't think. But it was just a genuine like, oh, my God.
0: They must have not warned him on (laughs) purpose. Like, let's let him walk out there right now. You know, the other players specifically. And at seven foot plus, some of your uh, your
2: bits are eye level for certain shorter reporters. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it was just funny. And it is it is it is kind of funny because the, the dance we all the eye dance we all do to make sure we're not looking at the wrong thing at the wrong time in the locker room while we're waiting for players to get dressed.
2: Yeah, the, the, the One of the uncomfortable things about working in this business, for sure.
1: I have a really good understanding of what's at the top of these guys' lockers, I'll tell you that, you know, in there.
2: <laughs> oh, I
0: remember that quite well doing that, yes. Hey, we have, uh, we have a question from a listener we got on Twitter this week. It's coming from Angel Rodriguez. He says, who from this roster do you think is on the 2019-2020 roster? Uh, from the starters to the bench, or what might be easier, who is not on this roster next season? Jamal Crawford I Ryan, have a right
1: I have a strong feeling that there's going to be a lot of turnover um, I really really think Jamal Crawford, uh, excuse me, not Jamal Crawford What am I thinking? Uh, James Jones is going to do his best to put together a team of players uh, That get along and that are more toward their mid-career. The Suns by far had the fewest minutes Of players between the ages of 23 and 29 this year of any other nba team and that's just mind-boggling because That's when an nba player is in 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 most of his career and the best of his career is between ages 23 and 29 the suns have almost no minutes besides tj warren For for guys in that range now. They have kelly Oubre. Wow. He's just barely in there But anyway, I think there's gonna be a lot more mid-career guys by the start of next season I think I think the suns are done drafting for better or for worse, I I'd be very surprised if the Suns actually took any draft picks in the 2019 draft. Um, so, gosh, if you uh, the shorter list would be who's coming back next year, and uh, you could probably name four or five guys that are for sure back next year at the most, and everyone else is kind of up for grabs.
2: Um, yeah. I- i think it's a third or two-thirds of this roster is is overturned are you dave are you basically calling it it's it's james jones's team he's going to be the the permanent hire based on that feeling that of what you just said there
1: i think um i think him and trevor buckstein will be in their in their positions next year whether Anybody comes in and to supplement them that has more NBA experience or not is up for debate. I don't think Robert would do it without his arm twisted by an Adam Silver type like you asked for Greg in recent weeks. Um, but I do think that james jones and and uh, Trevor Buckstein will be doing most of the work in the front office next year, yes.
2: All right. well, I mean, if that's the case, then I certainly agree. You're probably looking at five or six guys on this roster that that remain going into in the next year for operating off that premise, because it, it certainly seems like James Jones has a, uh, a thought process that he's trying to go towards and chemistry is a big part of that. But also to Dave's point, trying to find guys that, uh, that are have experience, but aren't too old. And I totally agree on the drafting. I mean, uh, I'm, Pretty sure they still uh, don't have any scouts over there. So you know, they made a point to, of saying that they uh, aren't paying attention to the draft. I was I yeah. was just thinking, why do you he's
0: don't made say a point that. that?
1: that they are not focusing on the draft. He's made that point. Yeah. So when we have Brightside Night, which is January 8th this year, Suns versus Kings, we actually have a committed interview with James Jones, where he's gonna be talking to 45 of our closest Brightside followers who donated to Brightside Night. He's gonna spend twenty Twenty to thirty minutes talking to us, just like he did last year, and we're going to be able to ask him these questions. But he has said on his uh, weekly radio interviews um, that he doesn't believe as much in scouting uh, the and uh, the college ranks, and he'd rather focus on pro player personnel. Do you want,
0: interest? Sorry, did, did Dave? Do you want to spend a couple of minutes talking about Brightside Night? I know it was it's something. You have a pretty big announcement to make.
1: Near and dear to my heart, yes. So, Brightside Night, we are, as of this morning, over 1,500 tickets uh, donated by fans of Brightside of the Sun. And I really, 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 really appreciate this. Uh, you guys have done an incredible job of donating tickets, donating your own money out of your own pocket to send underprivileged kids to a Suns game. This year, it's January 8th, Suns versus Kings. The tickets are going 100% to kids who wouldn't ever otherwise get to an NBA game. They get to experience the atmosphere of being at the arena. I think it's just a really wonderful opportunity. Um, We're we're targeting some good organizations that we've targeted in the past, as well as some new ones as well. Um, But what's been really incredible is that as of Tuesday of this week, with two weeks left in the um, month before we have to cut off ticket sales because we have to distribute them by game time, of course, the Phoenix Suns are going to match every ticket donated from uh, Tuesday of this past week through the end of December. So your $9 ticket actually goes to becomes two tickets for $9 to underprivileged kids. It's incredible. It's only $9. That's it. And you can send two kids to a Suns game. So do it now, please. Every $9 counts. Um, if, if you put in two tickets, then you are in a raffle for a VIP treatment at a game. If you put in 10 tickets, you get your own tickets to the game. If you put in 25, you get prime tickets in the lower bowl. Um, So do a donation. Please donate, and you can have Robert Sauber himself cut you a check for doubling whatever you you donate. He'll at least – you know the Suns were going to end up giving some of those tickets away anyway to that game because they don't sell out anymore. Make them tickets that go to our kids, our underprivileged chosen kids, the game we choose. Um, so let's do that. Please donate. It's it's a very simple link, suns.com slash brightside. Brightside one word. suns.com slash brightside takes two minutes and it's only nine dollars and you get two tickets for each nine dollars you donate. Please do so, and the Suns are matching. Uh, thanks to the Suns, matching tickets all the way through the end of the year.
2: I mean, let's let's put this in perspective. Dave has got a better deal out of the Suns and Robert Sarver than the Phoenix City Council, right? They're matching the money you're putting in, right, dollar for dollar. They're going to match it to get tickets to kids. The city council can only get a third of their money back. So you guys are making out great in this, and you're helping underprivileged children get to see a basketball game. So go do it, guys. It's well worth it, and this is a a great gesture. I I mean, obviously, uh, I I give a a hard time to – to the Suns about a lot of things, but this is a very good thing that they do that they've always done. And now they're actually matching it. So go out there, make an impact on a kid's life and do something good this holiday season. Give, give a gift to somebody that may otherwise not get something like this, uh, and let them go enjoy the game on the eighth.
1: So before the Suns started matching, we were at 1,350 tickets or so since then, actually 1,400. Um, Since then, uh, we've had about 300 tickets donated, so the Suns will match that. So we're over 2,000 just about right now in total tickets to kids. I think by the end of the month, we'll be at 3,000. 3,000 kids in an 18,000 seat stadium are gonna be there because of us with Bright Side of the Sun. Please join, please do this. It's only a couple of bucks and it's not a a subscription. You don't have to keep paying every month. Um, It's just one time, that's it. One time out of your pocket. Skip Starbucks one day and send two kids to a Suns game.
2: save these kids from the unenviable fate of becoming Lakers fans by sending them to Bright Night Brightside Night with the Phoenix Suns for nine bucks. As little as nine bucks. Go out there and do it.
1: Suns dot com slash brightside. One word, suns dot com slash brightside.
0: You guys see that Adam Silver did weigh in on the arena debate. Yeah, and I don't yeah.
2: I don't disagree. I mean the the arena is the oldest in the league, needs upgrading. Nobody's
0: debating that. Well, he said, uh, he said the 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 tier point Greg that the arena needs an upgrade, but the Suns only host 25% of the total events there and the city does need to pony up some of that cost.
2: I agree, but the Suns also benefit as they're the managers of that arena and that they bring in those acts and that they, uh, that they make money that way, too. So I think that part gets left out a lot where it's like, well, they only play 25% of the game. Yes, but they run and manage the arena, too. So there's a benefit to them on the other Events as well, but I agree I mean, the city's not on uh, Is culpable for some of this That they need to fix some of these things And I don't think that's the real debate Here, and I think the real problem Here was the pure fact that They tried to do it in the most shady Way possible, like it Came in a six day wave where it was Like, we're not telling anything we're going to try to jam it through and we're not going to share the report that we that we yeah, spent two hundred thousand on
1: but you know what's in that report though is I've, I've seen this reported separately as well what's in that report is basically um a guy hired by the city of phoenix to assess the needs of the of the arena and all the guy's saying is spend the money it's already been set aside for arena renovations there, there it was in the deal it's in the deal that this that the city is going to set aside money for arena renovations and that money now needs to be spent so let's uh-huh. it's not a new tax and plus uh, there, sorry there is going to be a tax but it's only going to be on hotels and rental cars it's not going to be on on regular day-to-day resident kind of expenses so it's going to be tourism paying for this and it but it's in the deal that the city will pony up money toward renovations and this is the this is the worst arena in the NBA now.
2: Look, Dave, I'm not disagreeing. The city should pay uh, the money. What percentage, all that, whatever. You, you can debate that. What I'm saying is it was the whole perception of this thing. And in sports and in yes. politics, perception, did a
1: terrible job on perception. Absolutely.
2: And so did the city. It, the city is not, Uh, is not off the hook for this, trying to force that vote real quick. It's perception and it's reputation. Those are two things in sports and in politics that are immensely important, usually more important than actually what's being voted on or what's being decided. And the fact that Robert Sarver's reputation – is bad and then they had the city and them tried to backdoor this thing without talking about it with the public and forcing a vote as fast as possible because the new mayor that's likely going to be elected in march has said publicly she doesn't believe in spending city money on pro sports teams they tried to force this instead of spending two or three weeks going out there having these city meetings talking about it and then just hosting a vote that it doesn't seem like it's it's being you know some for some reason hid from the public it was it was made to seem shady and that's
1: and that's bad and absolutely that's on the fault of both sides
2: yeah for sure and then and then that's how it snowballs into, you know, rumors about server threatening city council members with with a move or whatever. And all this stuff, uh, since it's at such a hurried pace, it gets out there because uh, and, and gets skewed. I don't I still don't know what the truth is about what was said uh, in, in those moments, but it, it was just the perception of this whole thing. And in the end. I'm guessing the city will decide uh, on money. I'm guessing the Suns maybe throw another 5-10 million in to make it more palatable. Uh, And things progressed from that because this building is outdated. It does need an update. And either they're going to do it for the suns or the suns are going to leave and then they're going to have to demolish the building or retrofit it to do something else. It's going to cost the city money one way or another. So uh, I I think we get to a point where the building is renovated and the numbers just look slightly different. Uh, Uh,
0: All right, guys. Well, uh, until next week, uh, we hope that you have a very Merry Christmas, yada, 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 Hanukkah or whatever you're celebrating. Enjoy some time off and time with your family the solar panel sensitive to all religions seeing as people have already
2: celebrated Hanukkah and we didn't mention it
1: <laughs> I did I said it mistakenly to a team of mine and one of them was Jewish and he's like yep that's already done that was earlier this month thanks for noticing
2: Sens- sensitivity <laughs> no
1: he was joking though he's like that doesn't bother me but I thought it was funny
2: <laughs> happy festivus everybody
0: You just got done listening to the solar panel. For more great Suns content, check out the Timeline podcast for stuff like this. There's no way that Hakeem Olajuwon makes his own pancakes. I'm really sorry that you just made a great coherent point and that's all I had to respond with, but all it did was lead me to look up the fact that Hakeem Olajuwon made $110 million in his NBA career, and God knows how much since then. He easily has someone at his ranch to make his pancakes, right? That's The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.